You can turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We continue our verse-by-verse study through this letter. So last week, we saw how Paul told Christians that they have been risen in Christ. They are hidden in God. Christ is coming back, so, so set your minds on the things that are above. Seek the things that are above, Paul said. In this text, our text this morning, Paul will continue his argument, showing us the further implications of, of what that means to have been risen in Christ, to have been, being, have been made alive in Christ. And so what does it mean to live as one that that is true of, that you have been risen in Christ, that you are hidden with Him in God? Well, let's find out together this morning as we continue the argument here, picking up in verse 5. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? And we will be studying chapter 3, verse 5 through 11. God's Word says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. God, help us this morning understand what it means to put to death what's earthly in us, to put to death our sin. So Father, I pray that this is a convicting text that we may have an honest evaluation of our hearts this morning, that we may see what sins may remain there, and that we begin by the power of Your Spirit to, to begin to root those sins out. And we know that, that understanding this text and understanding the implications of this text and doing the implications of this text is only by Your power. So we ask for Your help. In Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I read an article recently that highlighted several stories of how the Social Security office had created what the article called Real Life Walking Dead. Part of the, I want to read just a part of the article that, that I think kind of gets the gist of, of what it is. It said, Her mouth dropped when the person at the Social Security office saw Bonnie Ballou of Birmingham standing there alive as could be. Am I supposed to be dead or something? Balu, 83, asked the employee. As a matter of fact, that's what it is, the employee responded, looking at Balu's paperwork. And that was last year, and Balu was in the Social Security office on a routine visit when the two discovered that she had been dead since 1997. But she held off telling her son, who was serving abroad in the military, that she was dead until he returned home. Oh, by the way, do you know that I was dead? She laughed. Keep a sense of humor, she advised. Lydia Clayson, 83, of Bainbridge Island, couldn't agree more. 
The government deemed her dead twice after her husband passed away in 1994. On one occasion, it removed deposits from her bank account. She packed her passport, driver's license, and birth certificate, made her way to the Social Security office, and there she and the surprise workers discovered that she had been declared dead instead of her husband. On another occasion, she tried to pick up a prescription only to discover that her insurance wasn't active. I asked them to find out why, and they said, well, it says that you are dead. Again, she had to gather her paperwork and drove to the security office, and she told them, I'm not my ghost. It's really me. I mean, how bad is that? Being alive, but being told and and having to almost live as if you are dead. You want to know what's worse? Being alive, and yet acting as though... You are dead. In the heart of this text, Paul is telling the church to live as who you now are. Don't live like someone that you no longer are. Don't live as someone you're not. You are alive in Christ. Now live like it. The first of the two fundamental truths and the main point of our our text today that show us what it looks like, kind of boots to the ground of, of what to live like how to live if you are one who is alive in Christ, is to put to death your sin. And you can see this right up front in that, that first imperative of our text. In Colossians 3, the verse, first part of verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's, that's the heart of this text. To fight your sin. To don't live in it. Those who are alive in Christ don't remain in their sin. They put it to death, Paul says. Now, Paul's already addressed in this book, and we've talked about already in this series, legalism. We have talked about how we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is not of works, but solely of God. But that doesn't mean that we live in sin. And so Paul's addressing some specific sins that this church in Colossae are, are struggling with, dealing with, and he's telling them to, to put them to death. And so when I say put to death your sin. It's not that Christians never sin. It's that you don't live in sin. It's not your habit. I like the way that John describes it and and tells it. I think it's helpful as a kind of a, a preface of what we're studying today. John says it like this. He says, no one born of God. And so he uses the same kind of language, being alive in Christ. This idea that we are born again. No one born of God makes a practice of Sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Who does not, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so John is saying, if you are born of God, if you are alive in Christ, then you don't make it your practice to sin. You can't keep on sinning and keep on sinning because you have been born of God. And this is the evidence that you are a Christian, that you are putting to death and putting to death and fighting and fighting your sin. You are repentant of your sin. It's evidence that you are a genuine Christian. Now, this, well, Paul's argument here, this is a two-part instruction. And this morning, we're only studying the first half of it. The second half that we will look at next week is sort of a put on. We put off sin, but we put on righteousness. One simply cannot put to death sin without replacing it with righteousness. So to put on 
to, or to put to death anger, for instance, is to put on forgiveness and self-control. To put to death discontentment is to put on contentment and gratefulness to God's provision. To put off envy is to put on rejoicing and other successes. With every sin that we put off, that we cast off, there is a counterpart of righteousness that we are to put on. This is our sanctification as we work to grow in our faith. And so I say all that just to, to say that to know going forward this morning we're only receiving half of the instruction. Next week we'll see the other half. It's a put off and a put on. And, uh, and so by necessity of, of the text that we're studying, we're going to be talking and centered on this idea of sin. And so we're going to be talking a lot about sin this morning. Uh, the way that Paul approaches this is kind of like a, you can imagine a seesaw. He, he begins with a, a list of sins, probably sins that were very influential to that church in particular, that, as he has heard a, a report And then he sort of seesaws and gives a reason for why it is you ought to put those sins to death. Why you ought to fight those sins. And then he sort of seesaws back and gives another list of sins. And then he kind of seesaws back and gives another reason why we ought to fight those sins and put those sins to death. Um, Just for the sake of organization, I'm going to handle the two lists together and then the two reasons together. So we're going to be jumping back and forth just a little bit in the text. But the heart of the text, put, put your sin to death. Well, what sin do we put to death? Really all of our sin. That's the goal as a, as a Christian. Whenever you see lists like the ones that we, we read in this text, um, they aren't meant to be exhaustive. But they are, are given to you a, as a way to for make sure that you know that all sin is an affront to God. And, and perhaps you identify with one of these. Uh, two of these, several of these, um, to make sure that you know that, that, that sin is an affront to God and that we are to repent of it. And so he gives two lists. The list can be categorized, though. And so I'm going to look through these two different lists, and then we'll talk about the reasons why we ought to put them to death. And so the, the first list I've categorized like this, they are sins of wrong love. Sins of wrong love. And that, that seems like an odd way to phrase it, Right? I mean, as Christians, aren't we to be a, a people of, of love? Well, yes, but we are to love the things that God loves. And that means that we ought to hate the things that God hates. And so, yes, we are to love, but we are only to love that which is lovely according to God. And if you cast your love upon something that is not lovely to God, then it is a wrong love. It is a sinful Love, And that's, that's what this first list that Paul gives us is categorized by. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. So let's consider these for a moment, revolving around loving something that we ought not love. The first, sexual immorality. So every sexual act outside of the boundary of what Scripture prescribes is sexual immorality. God gives us sex as a gift, but that gift is to be enjoyed biblically between a man and a woman who are united in the covenant of marriage. Anything beyond that is sexual deviance. And so homosexuality or bestiality, sex before marriage, orgies, anything beyond one man and one woman in marriage is sexual immorality and ought to be put to death. Those actions ought to be put to death. Sexual immorality refers to, to physical sexual acts. 
And then you have sort of the next two, impurity and passion. Those refer to uh, sins of the heart and sins of the mind that are sexual in nature. Uh, Passion could be translated lust in some translations. When you have a lust in your heart, when your mind is engulfed with impure thoughts. Uh, Remember how Jesus said it? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Impurity and lust is one of the most significant problems in American churches today. Like if Paul were to living as a contemporary, if he were living today and he were writing letters to churches in the way that he did in the Bible, and he were to write a church to the churches in America, this would probably be priority one that he would address into the churches of America. Sexual immorality, lust. 68% of men who regularly go to church also regularly view pornography. 33% of women. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the Uh, Major League Baseball combined together. Uh, It also has a a higher revenue than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 56% of divorces in America include pornography as one of the reasons listed. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. 94% of children will have seen it by the age of 14. 70% of youth pastors, 50% of pastors have viewed porn in the last 12 months. It's an epidemic with disastrous results. It ruins families, it damages minds, it leads you away from Christ, and it is a gateway to many, many other sins. Dear friends, take heed of the words of Jesus and to put it to death. If that means finding accountability than finding accountability. If that means throwing away that that new iPhone that you are enjoying, then throw it away. Buy your $20 flip phone that has no internet access on it. Friends, this is wartime. That's how the Bible describes our sanctification, the Christian walk. We are at war. I read the first part of Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Jesus continues like this. He says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. No phone or no computer is worth it if you were able to live in sexual purity. Put it to death, Paul says. It is a love of something that God hates. If that means you need counseling, come to me and I will help you. I will counsel you through if you have an addiction to sexual immorality. Next on the list is evil desire. That's a general term, but any desire against God's standard or, or law is an evil desire. Anytime you place your own interests first over God's desires, then that's an evil desire. Covetedness or, or greed. And then he, he kind of gives the, the caveat or, or, or explanation of what that is, which is idolatry. That doesn't really seem to fit in this list, but it actually is consistent. This is a wrong love. And so when we covet something, when we are greedy towards something that isn't ours, then we have a wrong love. 
It's a failure ultimately to trust God as the provider of all good things. And so Paul calls it idolatry. And so evaluation of your own heart. Do you have wrong loves? Are there things that you love that you ought not love? Do you love the things that God hates? The second list of sin that Paul gives us is kind of the opposite. They are the sins of wrong hate. And so there is a sense as a Christian that we are to hate things. And we are to hate the things that God hates. We hate our sin. And that's good, godly hatred. But when you hate for the sake of hate, when you hate others, it is a wrong hate. And that is a sinful hate. So we can see the list here. Pick up in verse 7. And And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. These are all sins of hatred. And you'll notice that, that many of them involve our tongue. There seems to be this connection in Scripture between hatred and how it is often expressed. And hatred is often expressed through our words in different forms. And James says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the whole counsel of life and set on fire by hell. He goes on to say that our tongue is a restless evil. There is great potential for evil in our tongue. You know the old kid saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a myth. Words hurt. Words are powerful. They are dangerous. And so when your words are are tied with, with these sins of hatred, you end up with malice and slander and obscene talk and lies. And apparently, within the context of this church of of Colossae, there has been hatred rising up um, around racial divide. And we see that in verse 11. He says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. He's calling them there to, to unity, to not be angry towards each other, not to display your anger, not to hate one another, but we are all one in Christ, Paul says. And Christians are not to be, to be characterized by these things. Anger, this is inner anger. It's like a sap in a tree on a hot day that, that swells the trunk and the branches until, have you seen a branch like that where it almost just feels like it's, seems like it's about to burst open? That's what anger is. It's that inner turmoil that can eat you alive. Paul says, put it to death. Wrath. That's when your anger boils over the the person who has that quick temper. Paul says, put it to death. Malice. It's a a vicious mind. An attitude that plans evil, that that rejoices in evil. Uh, You can think of, if you remember the story in in Esther, in Esther chapter 5, you have this picture of of a gleeful Haman who was building the gallows to kill Mordecai. And he, he was just happy about it. That's, that's malice. Slander. Hurtful speech that defames another's character. Obscene talk that's foul or, or abusive speech. Curse words that draw minds to impure things. Taking the Lord's name in vain. That Paul says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion 
and it may give grace to those who hear. And of course, lying, Paul mentions here, great sin against God. The root of all of them is, is hate. Paul says to, to put them to death. Don't let those things reign in your life. So, friends, be full of love and be full of hate. But love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Don't be an alive person and living as though you are dead in your sin. Put to death your sin. Why do we do that? Why ought we put to death our sin? Paul gives us two reasons in this text. First reason he gives us is God's judgment. We put to death our sin because of God's judgment. Look back to verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I don't think the intent of Paul here is sort of to to scare them into it. I think the intent here is to, to demonstrate the seriousness of sin and God's hatred of sin. And Paul is telling the Colossian church, on account of these things... The wrath of God is coming. God is holy and He is coming to judge sinners. Put to death these wicked things, the sin that's in your life. Now, In this church of Colossae, there might be those who are false Christians who need to understand their status before God. Maybe that's you. Maybe this morning you're not really born again. You've never genuinely trusted in Jesus, the Bible says that the wrath of God abides upon you. Your future will be a judgment. And perhaps there may be genuine Christians at the church of Colossae, perhaps here too, that need a wake-up call, not to fear God's condemnation, but to understand your sin and its seriousness. Listen, Christian, you are free from the condemnation of God. If you are genuinely in Christ, you are free from the condemnation of God. That doesn't mean that God won't chasten you. And that's God's love for you. That's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. The picture we get is that God reacts to sin. It's, it's serious to Him. For the unbeliever, it is His eternal wrath. For the believer, it's His loving chastening. But either way, everyone who pursues sin will suffer the consequences. Reason number two, we put sin to death. And I think really the heart of this text, as it leads into uh, the next section we'll study next week, you have a new self. You have a new self. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You have a new self, Paul says. The imagery here that, that Paul's eliciting is, is almost like that of, of shedding off dirty clothes. You can picture yourself just wearing filthy clothes and you shed it off and you shed it off and you shed it off and you begin to feel like this, this new person. The old is shed off and on with the new. Being renewed in knowledge, Paul says. And so there's this constant renewal that's taking place in the life of a Christian as he, as he keeps increasing in true knowledge of God. As we study His Word and know His Word, the, the more that we know God, the more that we know God, the deeper we understand our sin, the better we're able to cast off that sin. 
We're transformed through this knowledge into the image of God. That's what Paul's saying. You have a new self. You're born again. And Christy read it earlier. That, that's the, the argument of Romans 6. The, those in Rome were asking, well, why, if we're under grace, why can't we just keep sinning? It's a, a ticket to heaven, right? I mean, why can't we just live however we want? And Paul's response was, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? If you've died to it, if you are born again, Paul says, Romans 6, how can you keep living in it? You can't. So how can you put to death your sin? Apart from Jesus, you can't. One of the advantages of reading to a four-year-old boy is that I learn all kinds of things about machines. Many of his books that he loves the most are all centered around these huge machines. And, and some of them have a lot of really interesting information about them. And so I, I've learned that the largest plane in existence is the Antov AN-225. And this plane, when fully loaded with cargo at, at max capacity, weighs 1.2 million pounds. I think of that, like how in the world can you, can you take 1.2 million pounds and make it fly, like through the air? I mean, how can you even get it off the ground? And the answer is that the wings are configured in just the right way so that when air rushes over them, it lifts the plane into the air. Now, you can... If you didn't have those wings, but you had the same power of those engines, you're not going anywhere. You're going to go in a straight line. You're not going in the air. It required them to place those wings in exactly the right way and design exactly the right way for it to, to have thrust to lift it up into the air. Friends, when you were born again, it's like God gave you wings. He reconfigured you. He recreated you. He made what was once impossible for you to do possible. By His power, you really can put to death your sin. It actually is possible. What was impossible for you in your old life when you were dead to your sin is, is, is possible for you because of Jesus. You are set free from your sin. I mean, look at verse 7. It said, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So they were living in these sins. He says, but now you, you must put them away. It's full confidence that they have the ability to put away these sins. You must, Paul says. You have to. You're alive in Christ. You can't keep living in them. I like the famous quote, perhaps the most famous quote by John Owen. He said it like this. He said, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at its will you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work, not as a means to earn the grace of God, 
not as a means to gain His favor, but because you are alive in Him, because He has rescued you from your sin, because He has freed you from your sin, do you make it your daily work to put your sin to death? Jesus made it possible. Don't live as a dead person. Don't live one who is alive in Christ and go back to live as if you were dead. For some of you, you have never recognized the seriousness of your sin. And so you have never seen your need of a Savior. Do you see it now? Christ died on the cross that anyone who calls upon His name can be saved. Is that true for you? Have you called upon the name of Jesus? Christians, let's fight our sin together. Let's help each other out. Let's encourage each other. Let's leave this place this morning with a a renewed desire to put to death, to, to mortify the sin that's in our hearts, that we may glorify God and enjoy Him more fully. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to You for what You have done for us in Your Son, Jesus. That through His death on the cross, through His resurrection, that we as Christians have been made alive in Him. So God, help us to live that truth. Help us to live as the people that You have created us to be holy before You. Father, forgive us when we fail. Because we do. We need constant forgiveness. Father, help us be repentant when we, when we fail. And help us endure to the end. We need your grace. We need your love. God, help us help each other to be an encouragement to each other as we endeavor in this lifelong process of putting sin to death. We worship you now. In Christ's name. Thank you.